It is, uh, it's an honor to be here and I just uh, want to thank you for, for having me. Been a while. Um, some of you have changed and uh, you're all looking good. Uh, back, in, uh, back in 1989, when we were getting ready to uh, go up to Utah, to move up to Utah to uh, pastor this dying little church in, in Orem, uh, that today is known as Centerpoint Church, there was a group of people here at Evie Free Fullerton that came together. They were led by Jack and Leanne Redford, and they, they formed a ministry, and we received support through prayer, through their giving. And then uh, a few years later, when the church began to grow against all odds, uh, they sent up a building team, and then it kept growing, and we, they sent up another building team a few years later. And what I want to do here today is I want to say thank you. Thank you so much, because we do not know where we would have been without you. Uh, and it might seem strange to you that a, uh, that a church here in the United States would need that kind of support. Uh, if you drive up I-15 to Utah Valley, uh, Utah Valley looks at first glance like a lot of other places in the United States. It's safe, it's friendly, it's clean. And sometimes I find myself, as I, as I travel around the, the valley, I find myself saying, well, this is the way America used to be. Uh, and sometimes I even say, this is the way America ought to be. And, and, it, and so this is, it, it is, it is a different kind of place. And so you find yourself saying, well, why, why would they need support? Well, there's something different about Utah Valley. Uh, here you have a metropolitan area of about 600,000 people, and in that valley, whether it's politics, culture, economics, one religion dominates everything. And, and let me give you some perspective. This is a, maybe a helpful way to think about it. Imagine living in a place where almost all the elected officials, city employees, city administrators, uh, school administrators, teachers, all of them are Muslim. Okay. Uh, there is a mosque on every corner attached to every public school, public high school. There is a madrasa. Uh, there's a 30,000 student Muslim university in the city where over 99% of the students are Muslim. Imagine a place where the number one employer requires you to be a faithful Muslim in order to remain employed if you imagine such a place, you would imagine that it is in the Middle East. But substitute Mormon for Muslim, and you have a place that's 600 miles up the road from here. Utah Valley is the center point of Mormon culture. And back in 1989, we had a simple vision, and the vision was this, and it remains the same today. It has not changed. We wanted to grow a healthy local church at the center point of Mormon culture that reaches Mormons. And we have been at that for 28 years. We have raised a family there. Uh, there is a, a, a picture. That's the fam. Uh, when in Utah, do as the Utahns do. Uh, we, uh, we have been fruitful and we have multiplied. I, I just, I've added, we've added two grandchildren since that picture. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're moving forward. And you know, 28 years later, my wife and I, Sarah and I, consider it to be one of the great privileges of our life to be able to serve in that place. Back in 1989, uh, it all seemed pretty crazy. In fact, I had a lot of people here as we were preparing to leave say things to me like, you're nuts. 
What are you doing? What are you doing to your family? Uh, I just would report to you that all my four children, they're following the Lord. They all married believers. Uh, God's been faithful. God's been good. But people back then were saying, you know, you're going to lose your family. You're nuts. You're crazy. And and I I had this ready-made statement. I would say, well, you know, God loves to do things in places where people say it can't be done. And you know, that was my mantra. And, but I remember one night before I left, uh, I, I was just so excited. I was overcome with vision and passion. And, and I went out for a walk and I was dreaming and thinking and planning and what we were going to do when we get to Utah. And, and a thought hit me and I think it was from the Lord. And I ended up having a little conversation with the Lord. And here's the way it went from the Lord. This is going to be hard. And I, I, yeah, yeah, Lord, I know I got it. Yeah, we, we, you know, but we're, and, 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 and then this next thought came to my mind and it was, no, this is going to be harder than you ever imagined. And you know what? I had no idea. I had no idea. Uh, there have been times, so many times when it seemed like we were just hanging on by a threat, uh, where, where we were just continually being faced with adversity uh, you name it, feels like we faced it. And one of those times began in 2006. At that time, it became clear that our old building, the building, the, the, the one that the folks here at Fullerton helped to build, it would no longer work because we could not use the parking lot across the street. We could no longer use the parking lot at the public high school. And so we put our building up for sale. We went down and we found an incredible piece of property on the freeway, uh, half a mile south of the biggest interse- the busiest intersection in Utah Valley, University Parkway. We were so excited because now we were going to go from a place where we were hard to find to a place where we would be impossible to miss. And, and, and so we were fired up and we planned a building and, and, and in 2000, 2008, the economy crashed. A lot of people lost jobs. People moved out of the area. And we realized there is simply no way that we were going to be able to build. And now here we were, a church of about 450 people wandering in the wilderness. And every Sunday we would uh, take a moving van and we would unload it. And, and then we would pack up again and do that Sunday after Sunday. It felt like we were digging a hole and filling it back in again. And we did that for a long, long time. And, and, and it, it, but it just, the thing, we just, we were, we were wandering in the wilderness. And like, uh, like the children of Israel, uh, when they wandered in the wilderness, there was a lot of grumbling. And uh, some folks wanted to go back to Egypt and we lost a lot of people along the way. But what helped, uh, what, what held us back in being able to build was we were not able to sell our old building. Several times we had it sold and, and the deal would always follow through. But in, in the summer of 2014, things began to change. And it had been a long time, probably 20 years since we had had contact with the people of Evangelical Free Church Fullerton. And uh, Pastor Scott Milan began to ask a question around here. Hey, does anybody know of a church in Utah where, uh, you know, we could go up and put on a VBS and Miriam Moeller, uh, was there and she said, yes, Scott McKinney, uh, you know, call him. And when he called and said, Hey, we'd like to come up and do a VBS. I said, done, please come. We, we needed anything, any positive. 
And so those students came up and they were amazing. They encouraged us and they blessed us. And they're coming again in a month from now. We've got this tradition in the summer now where the students of EV Free Fullerton come up and they put on a VBS and, and it's just a wonderful thing. So now two generations of this church have come and encouraged us at critical times. One generation helped us to get going. The other generation encouraged us to keep on going. But after that, something else great happened. Our, we had an offer on our building, on our old building, and it looked like this was gonna work out. And you know, we were just so excited because now, finally, after eight years, we were gonna be able to build. And, and, and then things got really tough. Uh, in late August, right before the closing date on a Friday, we met with the buyers and the deal fell apart. Uh, add to that earlier in the week, the school district contacted us and said, you know, this doesn't look like you guys are ever going to be able to build. This was a temporary situation. You're, you're going to have to find another place to meet. So the word homeless was coming to mind. The only positive thing going for us, for me at the time, was uh, it was the opening night of high school football in Utah, and my two sons-in-law were coaching the American Fort Caveman football team, and we were going to have the best season we ever had, and I put all those thoughts about our church behind us, and I said, Lord, we need a win. We need a win. And, and so went to the game and the game was played in a thunderstorm in rain and lightning. And, uh, in the last seconds of the game, we just simply gave it away. We lost. And after the game, I'm soaking wet. I, uh, I walked over, put my hand on the goalpost and I said, Lord, today would be a good day to die. And this would be a good time to die. One of those lightning bolts right here on it. And, and I, I just, I was so done. I said, we're cursed. This is the way it always seems to go in Utah. You get your hopes up and they get dashed. So the next day, I did, by the way, live through the night. And I, uh, the next day, I went to lunch with my two sons-in-law, the football coaches. And I said, well, you know, we lost. What are we gonna do different? And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, we're not gonna do anything different. We're not changing a thing. We're doing the right things. We just need to keep on doing them. That was the word of the Lord to me. Because even though it felt like we'd been on about an eight-year losing streak as a church, we were doing the right things. And we just needed to keep on doing them. And the interesting thing is the cavemen went on and won 11 straight games and went all the way to the state championship game. And then we, Centerpoint Church, we began to experience the year of the Lord's favor. Our building did sell. Uh, we built a building, and the existence of that building is, is, a, is kind of a minor miracle. And, you know, people, when they drive down uh, the I-15, and you know, this is one of the most visible buildings in the valley, it says to people there, hey, there is something else. There is another church going on here. And, and, and we, we have seen the, the Lord work and the Lord move. And, and so after 10 years of wandering in February of 2016, we met in the new building for the first time and uh, we have seen growth. That church that was dying in 1989, that 
church that was hanging by a thread in 2014. Today, we are seeing up to a thousand people come on a Sunday morning to worship the Christ of the Bible. And the cool thing is, is that we're, we're not alone. Uh, in the last 20 years, many churches have been planted in the state of Utah that are impacting the culture of the state. So here's the question. What are those things that we have been committed to that we've just never stopped doing? Uh, before going to Utah, uh, when people talked about ministry to Mormons, it was usually in the context of producing information about Mormonism that proved that they were wrong and we were right. And we realized something, and that is that, that when evangelicals look at Mormons, they see the competition. At heart, the Mormon culture is a missionary culture. From the Utah Valley, beginning at BYU, Brigham Young University, and the Missionary Training Center, the message of the restored gospel, that, 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 and they believe that Jesus Christ has restored the one true church through Joseph Smith, and that they alone are the one true church, and they have authority to speak and act for him alone. They're it. And, and, and we hear that. And, and there is a, that claim is, is competitive with the claims of, of the gospel that we read about in the Old and New Testament. So, how do we respond? Well, the gospels, in the gospels, Jesus who was a Jew, dealt with the people that in many ways were the competition. They were the Samaritans. The Samaritans said that they, not the Jews, had the truth about God. And for the Jews, the Samaritans were the competition. So we've come up with an analogy. Mormons are to Christians what Samaritans are to Jews. We believe that Utah is a modern-day Samaria. So what would Jesus do when it comes to Mormons? Well, if you go to John chapter four, if you open up your Bible uh, to John chapter four, you, you'll get an answer. Uh, the first thing we are gonna see is that Jesus would show up. John four, three. Now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was on his way from Judea to Galilee and most devout Jews would walk around Samaria in order to avoid contact in order for be, to, to prevent, they didn't want to be defiled by being in the presence of Samaritans. So they would go around Samaria and, and not go through it. Now, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria because there was only one way to get from Judea to Galilee. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he cares about Samaritans. Jesus cares about Mormons. He loves Mormons. He shows up in Samaria Jesus would show up in Utah. How does Jesus show up? Jesus shows up in the local church. We are the visible body of Christ. It's simple. You, you know, here's what, we, here's what we keep doing. We keep showing up. It's no, small, it's no small thing to keep showing up in Utah for a local church. In reaching out to Mormons, we're not reaching the unchurched like a lot of churches in California talk about doing. We are reaching the overly churched. Uh, when people leave Mormonism, here's what they say. I feel like I just got a 10% raise and an extra day of the week off. When people leave Mormonism, they tend to believe that either everything is true or nothing's true. They have an incredible distrust for other churches, for pastors, for people like me, and, and, and for organized religion. And it's not just that. When people put their faith in the Christ of the Bible, 
and begin to call a church like Centerpoint it's their home, they have so much to lose. They lose friends. They, they, they lose family. Uh, I, they lose marriages. Uh, they, they lose financially. And even so, over 60% of the people in our church come from Mormon backgrounds. And one reason they keep showing up, that we keep showing up, is for people like Eric and Melanie. Eric had been an LDS bishop in Texas, and he moved to Utah, and he'd gone through this process where he figured out that the LDS church simply was not true. And they went on this search for truth that led them high and low, and finally one day they were driving down the freeway, and they saw Centerpoint Church, and they came, and they were welcomed, and they heard the gospel in word and in song and in worship, and they communicated with me later on. They, they said, we're home. We're home. And then they heard that we had been there for 28 years, and, and, and here is, is what they said. We know that you've been here a long time. Thanks for not quitting. Thank you for being here. Thank you for staying and waiting for us. That's why we keep showing up. And as we continue to show up, Jesus shows us what to do. Jesus, back to Samaria, brings good news and not bad. Jesus shows up at Jacob's well at noon and he meets a woman and, and, and he asks her for a drink and, and she is absolutely stunned. She is floored. She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Literally, when it says Jews do not associate with Samaritans, it means Jews and Samaritans do not drink from the same cup. She knows all about the historic hatred between Jews and Samaritans. How then, Jesus, how, Rabbi, can you ask me for a drink? Jesus has the perfect opportunity to give her the bad news about Samaritanism. He could have attacked the priesthood uh, and their version of the Torah. He could attacked all, have attacked all sorts of things about, uh, about Samaritan religion. But, but he does something different. Here's what he does. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Doesn't say anything about Samaritanism. He gives her the good news. Here's what that means to us at Centerpoint. At Centerpoint on a Sunday morning, we never do this. We never talk about Mormons. We never talk about Mormonism. Why? Because we want our people to invite the people that they love, their family, their friends, their coworkers. We want them to invite them to church so that they can hear the good news of the gospel. And if they think and if they know that we are going to talk about their neighbors, they'll never invite them. See, our great task anymore is not to convince Mormons that the LDS church is not true. They're figuring that out. There is a flow of people out of the Mormon church. The internet has made an impact. It is filled with all kinds of information about what is wrong with Mormonism. People are showing up at our church already having checked out on the LDS faith. Our great task is to preach the good news, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But still, it's not easy for Mormons to embrace historic Christianity. Throughout their whole lives, they've been taught things like you can't trust the Bible because it's been translated incorrectly. Salvation by faith through grace is just too easy. 
You can't believe in the Trinity because it's too hard to understand. And not only that, when we have these conversations about faith, we face a communication barrier. We use the same words about faith that they use, but we give those words different definitions. And the reason we give them different definitions is that we have a different source of authority. We have the Bible, they have Latter-day Revelation. And so you take the word God. For us, it means there is one God who's always been God, and there will never be another one like him. Mormons believe in a God who was once a man who progressed to become God. Same word, different definition. Well, back in Samaria, Jesus faces a communication problem with this woman. He's been talking about living water. He's been talking about spiritual water, and, and, and she can't stop talking about drinking water. So the question is, how does he break through? When does the gospel begin to make sense to Latter-day Saints? Well, Jesus shows us when. He asks her a simple question. He says this, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. You've had five. And the one you are with now, the man you are now with have, that you now have is not your husband. Here's when the gospel starts to make sense when we understand the bad news about ourselves. Like all of us, she's a sinner. She knows that Jesus knows why she has come out at noon in the heat of the day. She's come out then because she's hoping that she will be alone and she's tired of being judged by all the other women in town and she's hoping nobody will be around to judge her. She's a mess. But Jesus has just told her, something she needs to know. She's just, he's just told her why she needs living water. She, her soul is parched. She is thirsty spiritually. So she hears him. And then she says, okay, I can see that you're a prophet. She can see that Jesus has this religious thing going on. So here's how she responds. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She responds the only way she knows how to respond, and and that is she responds in terms of religion. And when Mormons meet us, they they respond the only way they know how to respond. They respond in terms of religion. And, and, And back to Samaria, this woman sets Judaism and the religion of her fathers side by side. And she says, our ancestors worshiped here. Uh, you Jews say we are to worship there. And really what it is coming down to is who has the best religion? And that's what it comes down to for Mormons. Uh, And I would just say this to you. If it was all about, it was just about who has the best religion, Mormons are pretty hard to beat. Uh, It's a well-oiled machine. It's a juggernaut. And, uh, uh, but here's the problem that Mormons have. For Mormonism to be true, the Book of Mormon has to be what it claims to be. Scripture, ancient scripture. It's not. For Mormonism to be true, Joseph Smith had to be a prophet of God. He's not. He's not. See, the problem with Mormonism is it just isn't true. You know, we say something in our churches, churches like ours, and it really is true. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, here's the thing. Jesus did not come to establish the one true religion. 
Jesus did not come to establish a church that could perform ordinances and rituals that save and exalt. Jesus Jesus came to bring about a new relationship between God and humanity. Listen to Jesus in John 4, 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, the issue is who is God and what kind of God is he? God is spirit, and God is seeking worshipers. But, but it, it, here's the thing about God. God's love always comes first. And God's love is so great that God became one of us in Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. And he did so to die on a cross so that we could live in relationship with him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it's tough for Mormons to comprehend that. And and, and how do we clarify it? There's one thing that brings clarity. Back in Samaria, this woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming and when he does, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus just cuts through all the confusion and he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And in the end, Jesus leaves her with one thing. He points her to himself. And in the end, as we minister to that culture in Utah Valley, we want to do one thing. We want to point people to Jesus. And here's the great thing about Mormons. They know something about Jesus. Their their view of him may be skewed, but Mormons know the stories. And even when they leave Mormonism, there is something about Jesus that they just can't seem to shake. And that's what it all comes down to. That's what we're all about. We got to point people to him. I will tell you that coming here is a little bit intimidating and I, there's a lot of bright people here. You know, I did go to Talbot. Uh, I went on a football scholarship. I, not really, but I, you know, I was, uh, I wasn't the most serious student. Okay. And, uh, but I, I, it can be a little bit intimidating to come here. A lot of bright people here, a lot of Biola people here. And, and I find myself as I was getting ready for this, I found myself wanting to say something profound and penetrating and, and I don't have anything like that. But here's what I have. It's all about showing up. Uh, and what I've tried to teach my own children, what I've tried to pass on to our church is find something in life worth showing up for and keep on showing up. Jesus is worth showing up for. He's worth showing up for in my marriage, in my family, in my job. But most of all, It comes down to the church. And I think one of the things that evangelicals have done is we've minimized the importance of the local church. And folks, that's what it's all about. He is worth showing up for in the church of Jesus Christ. And if you take anything away from today, right here in Fullerton, he's worth showing up for. He's worth your gifts. He's worth your time. He's worth your talents. Show up for him. It's not about better religion. It's not about better culture. It's not about better politics. The work of the church is not about better education. 
It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus in Orange County. It's about Jesus in Utah Valley. And this morning, we're going to take communion. And uh, I made sure that this week that our people uh, were going to be taking communion up in Orem. And what we see, I think, in that is that we see the unity of the body of Christ. And that, that we are, our, our unity is about not a bunch of things that we, not a bunch of propositions that we happen to agree on. Our unity is found in a person, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and shed his blood so that we could have life. And we share that common life as brothers and sisters. And so as we take this meal and eat this meal, let it be an encouragement to you. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Amen.